Last week, what we talked about, we talked about um, resisting conformity, which is kind of relaxing in the environment around you. And Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And last week, we talked about how that, transform, that, that transformation is to take place, and it takes place by the renewing of your mind, that you can find what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the transformation happens where? It starts in the mind. And what happens in the mind then manifests itself in our actions and in our behavior. And last week, what we talked about as far as renewing the mind is that you first have to guard your mind, and then you must fill it. You must guard the bad stuff from coming in. Be very careful with what you allow into your eyes, into your ears, because what comes in, the information will influence your decision-making and the information from which you will draw, and that affects the way you behave and the decisions that you make. But not only do you have to guard yourself against the bad, but you have to be proactive in filling it with good, filling it with truth, those things that are pure, those things that we talked about in Philippians chapter 4. But if you're going to guard your mind, I want you to understand that you're going to have to learn how to overcome temptation. Because let me ask you a question, where does the struggle of temptation take place? In your mind, right? In your mind, and as you, as, you, as you have this battle that's going on in your mind, whether you should or you shouldn't do it, or you're struggling with the temptation, it's happening up here, and then whatever side wins out, whether, the, whether you, um, um, whether you uh, fall, fail to temptation or whether you resist, whichever way that plays out in the mind is then manifested in your behavior, in your actions. Does that make sense? So in the process of renewing your mind, you must understand how to handle the battle of temptation within your mind. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, all of us struggle with temptation. I very, I very seriously doubt that I'm the only one that struggles with that. But however, we all struggle with doing what is right, what is pure, and focusing on those things that are righteous because we have a sin nature within us that wars against that. And we have that struggle. We have a struggle with pleasing our flesh over pleasing our Heavenly Father. It was just a, it's just something, it's a part of life as a Christian because you have these two natures that will fight with one another. And there, there is a battle going on, and that battle is within your mind, and then whatever wins out within your mind will again manifest itself in your behavior. But as we struggle, sometimes we come out victorious, sometimes we come out winners, and sometimes we come out beaten, bruised, defeated, and paying a lot more than what we intended on paying. And that's the price we pay whenever we fall to temptation. Temptation, it comes when we, we are deceived into believing something that is false. We believe that we're going to actually get something out of it that's really not there. And what temptation is, is what Satan uses, is he tries to give you something and give you promises that are nothing but just empty promises. Because the reason why we war with the idea of what we should and shouldn't do as far as whether we're even considering sinful behavior because we're being tempted and drawn and enticed by it is because we think on the other side, whatever it is, it might be worth it. We think that the consequences that we have to pay for the decision will be worth paying because of the pleasure that it's going to bring us. And Satan is really good about making you believe that lie. He comes at you with a really nice gift. Boxed up, wrapped really pretty, shiny bows and everything. And he says, give it. He says, here, this is yours. Open it up and I'm going to give you all kinds of things that you couldn't even imagine. It's going to be wonderful. And though whenever you take that and you say, well, this is actually pretty good. Thanks. So you take it. And throughout the thrill of it, 
of tearing the paper out, you're really excited and the box shows something that you really, really wanted. And as you go to opening the box and tearing out all the tissue paper, you find that it's just an empty box. And though the journey to the empty box seemed to excite you a little bit, the promise was empty and you fell to temptation realizing that there's really nothing in the end. And that's exactly how Satan will, 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 um, will lie to you. That's exactly how Satan plays his game. He's, he's, um, he's very good at it. He's been doing it for a very long time. And we need to recognize who we are dealing with when it comes to battling temptation. But the good thing about it is that Jesus, he knows what it's like to be tempted. Now, he faced temptation head on and he came out victorious. He came out victorious not only for himself, but also for us. He gave us an example by which we could live our lives. And he also gave us an example how we can handle the temptation. Looking at what Jesus did whenever he was under temptation can also give us an ability to see how we can face temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And we'll get back to that um, later on in the, um, in the sermon. But Jesus knows what it's like. He understands our temptations, and he's here to help us resist the temptation. He is here to help us be victorious over that. And in order for us to do that, we must be willing to renew our minds by filling it with the truth of the Word of God in order for us to battle and win the war against temptation that takes place in our minds. So the transformation that takes place in our minds overcomes the temptation and the resistance will be played out in our actions and our behaviors and you will see that, trans that transformation. But let's take a look at what Jesus, uh, at Jesus' example whenever he faced temptation. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And we'll read through this. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So, so then Jesus was led up... <clears throat> by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. He went, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, <coughs> command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give the angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on the exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him the, all the kingdoms of all of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. Then the devil left him and told, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The first thing I want us to have an understanding. Now, Christ, now Jesus obviously had the mind of Christ. He had the knowledge, he had the information, he knew the word of God. Therefore, he was able to, to stand up against this temptation and be victorious. His mind was right and he knew things. 
Now, I want you to point out some, a few things that in order for us to become victorious in, uh, in the battle of the temptation that takes place in our minds, we need to know things. We need to have an understanding. And a couple of those things are, the first thing is you have to know the tempter. All right, we've got the next slide coming up. We must know the tempter. All right, who's the tempter? Satan, right? He's the root of all evil. He's the one who actually entices us to go against God's word, to go against God's nature, to do things that are not going to be conducive to building the kingdom of God. He wants to pull us away and distract us from doing what God wants us to do. He is going to tempt you and draw you in and paint the prettiest picture he possibly can. Satan is good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time. You need to recognize that you have an adversary out there that hates you and is trying to pull you away. The best way to lose a battle is to not know that you're in one. You need to know that there is a powerful force out there that's drawing you away from God and his word. And Satan wants to destroy you. He's roaring about like a rhyme, wanting to eat you alive. That is his purpose. You have to have an understanding that Satan, of who he is, how he works, what his purpose is, and what he is willing to do in order to destroy you. We can't walk through this world blindly pretending like he doesn't exist or pretending like there's not a struggle or pretending like, you know, this can never happen to me. I want you to understand if you try to stand toe-to-toe with Satan, you're going to lose every time. You will not defeat him outside of the power of God in you. He can destroy you without you even realizing what's happened. You must recognize that there's an enemy. You must know the tempter. Jesus knew Satan. He knew he would tempt him at his, at his very weakest point. What had just happened, he had actually um, attacked Jesus after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. He knew that Satan would come and he would twist the truth of God's promises and twist the word of God. Satan also knows where you're the weakest. He knows where you struggle. He knows knows the things that, 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 that enter into your mind that tend to be the most enticing to you. He knows where you are the weakest and that's where he is going to attack. Beware, you must know the tempter is out there. He knows how and in what areas to tempt you. Satan is continually about the business of temptation And if he doesn't get you the first time, I want you to understand he will come back again and again. He's persistent, and he will do it. Now, in in this account, in Matthew's account, it says that in verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him. It says, Then the devil left him. But in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, the same account, it says this, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. If he can't get you the first time, you can claim the victory and definitely do it. Claim in the name of Jesus Christ and give him honor and glory, but look out, he's going to come after you again. Now I want you to understand the more work that you're doing, the harder you're striving to be Christ-like in this world, the bigger target that you're going to have on your back. You know, living a life following Jesus Christ in this world is not always easy because you are going to fight resistance. You're going to fight a very strong opponent. Now, now you going against the opponent by yourself, uh, that may not be a winning battle, but you can always rest assured that you go into a battle against Satan in the name of Jesus Christ, you will always come out victorious. 
but you've got to be willing to do what it takes to renew your mind, to put yourself into a position where you can be victorious. But the third, first thing you have to understand and know is that you must believe and understand that there is, in fact, a tempter out there that is seeking to destroy you. And sometimes the temptation is absolutely blatant. You know, we struggle with things that we absolutely positively know without a shadow of a doubt that it's wrong. And yet we still struggle with that. Because we believe the desires of our flesh and fulfilling that will give us the pleasure that we need to justify the means and we struggle with it. But some things are really tiny too. Some things we call kind of gray areas. I just don't really know, right? Anybody ever been in a situation where I don't really know if it's good or bad? I mean, I'm not sure if this is wrong in this sense or not, but if he can get you to compromise, even in the smallest things, then that'll, that'll open him up to drive a wedge to draw you further and further in getting bigger and bigger and bigger issues. So we must be very careful. We must guard our minds, even against the small issues. You must realize how, how the devil works. He's very persistent. He'll get you on those small issues, start to get you to question, start to get you to compromise, and get you to do step by step by step. And the, and the further and the longer you go, the further away you become in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Satan gets you to compromise in the small things, he can get you to compromise in the more serious issues. He, he doesn't mind being patient and taking a progressive, and taking a progressive um, approach to it. So take it little by little, and usually that's the way he does, and that's how he becomes very successful in how he plays his game. So know that there is a tempter. Know that Satan is out there. Secondly, Jesus knew the temptation. So you need to know the temptation, right? Now, we understand that temptation is, is, is a, the temptation that we experience is really a lie that's being told to us, and we're starting to kind of believe that it's true, Correct? So really, we're being told a lie by the tempter, and then we believe it, and because we believe it, we act on it, which is our sinful behavior against God and his word. But the reason why we believe it is because we don't what? We don't know the temptation. Sometimes we may not even know that it is a temptation. Satan is playing in our ignorance. He's playing in the realm of what we do not know. And we do not know because we do not what? Fill our mind with the word of God. All right? We must fill our mind in the word of God. We must fill our mind with truth in order to expose the lies that Satan throws out there. You must know that there is a tempter. There is temptation. And Jesus experienced some incredible temptations within this passage that we just talked about. He experienced some incredible ones. But he played by the rules that God had put forth in his word. Now, Jesus had the power and the ability just to, to vaporize Satan. But instead, Jesus, being fully man and fully God at the, at the same time, played by the same rules that you and I can play by. We have the same power. We have the same ability that Jesus used at this time. As, um, we have the very same ability that Jesus had, and we can still play by the same rules because we got the same resources that he used. Does that make sense? He didn't, go any, he didn't go into any kind of supernatural thing, but he simply played by the rules that were laid out in God's word that are available for us as well. Now, Jesus experienced some really tough temptations. The very first one, now remember, remember he came at him whenever he was very weak 
40 days and 40 nights without food. And the first thing he throws at him is what? The ability to get food, right? He says, if you are the son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, then, then do it. Now, is it permissible for Jesus to do miracles? Yes. He, he did them all through the New Testament, right? They're spoken of even to, even to today. He fed the 5,000. He raised people from the dead. He did all kinds of things. But his response was this. He says, you know, it is written, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He had the ability to do it. He could do it. But however, at this instance, this was not what God had called him to do. It was not out of the mouth of the word of God. It was not out of, the, out of the mouth of God that he was to perform that miracle for himself at that very moment. He had the ability and he could do it. I also want you to understand there are some actions and behaviors that we can express that can be sinful or God glorifying depending upon the boundaries in which we perform them. Does that make sense? All right, let's take the big one, sex. It's not a bad thing. It's only bad whenever we exercise that behavior outside of the marriage of a man and woman in marriage. It's a great thing. And you can, can, and can perform that behavior in a marriage relationship and it can be God glorifying. But outside of those boundaries, it's sinful behavior. And you have to understand that the Satan will actually use that type of an illustration and say, look, it's just perfectly fine. It's not a big deal. You're just making you know, these, these rocks that you created into bread and you're feeding that fleshly body that you have. But he says, look, it's not for me right now. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And secondly, the second temptation that he goes through in verse 5, he says, now if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in your hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And then Jesus replied, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now what, what Jesus had done, the first temptation, is he answered him again with scripture, with the very word of God. That was knowledge that he had in his head that he applied to the temptation and said, look, I'm exposing the lie here, I am, this is not for me, so therefore I'm quoting scripture back to you, Satan. Now I'm victorious because I'm choosing to believe the word of God over what you're offering. But then Satan says, okay, you like scripture. So what does he do? He opens his Bible, Satan opens his Bible to Psalms chapter 91, and he quotes scripture. It is a perversion of scripture that he is trying to sell him off but however, he quotes scripture. And I want you to understand the Christians nowadays, they are following perversions of what the word of God truly says. We have people out there claiming to be Christians, part of the, part of the body of Christ, preaching perversions of what the word of God says. And people are lining up and following it. And Satan is getting them lined up. And they're coming. I want you to understand if you believe in a false gospel, that does not give, bring you eternal life. You must believe the one true gospel, which is found in Jesus Christ, and that's what you must believe. But Satan will, in fact, 
pervert the word of God in a way that sounds true, that sounds right, in order for people to grab a hold of that teaching and follow it. Because they really believe that it's what the word of God says. And you have to be very careful. And but again, how do you know that someone is preaching a false gospel? You have to know what is true. You have to know what is true. Now, what is, now what is, what's the false gospel here? What's the false teaching that Satan is trying to pass over on Jesus? He's saying, look, you can do whatever you want. You can control God by, by manifesting these actions. But what he was perverting is that it's in the context of Psalms chapter 91 and verse 1. Now, he quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12, but Psalm 91 and verse 1 sets the stage. It says, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The context is here is not that you can just do whatever you want to do and expect God to jump in and save you. No, this is, this is, this is, the, this is the promise that those who are striving to follow the will of God, to be a follower of Jesus, to do what God has said, really working hard and, and pleasing the Father, and if you stumble, God will be there. That's the context of it. It doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want and expect God to jump in. You know, there's a, there's a big false gospel out there that also says that, you know, well, if whatever God's will is, it's going to happen. That is a lie. Why do you think Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross in the first place? Because people were sinning against the very will of God. You can't just lay, it, lay back blindly and say, well, you know, God's will is just going to play itself out. No, that's not true. And you sit here and just depend on God to come in and step you and, and pick you up out of just ridiculous behavior that, you, that, you're, that you're engaged in. No, that's not, prom- that's not the promise that is actually put out in, in um, Psalm chapter 91. But you have to understand, Satan will, will, will take his word, he'll twist it, he'll make it sound like it's something that it's not. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you can claim the promises there. He's not, he's not, giving, him, he's not giving him the full information. He's not telling him what the conditions to meet this promise are, which are to follow the will of God, not to try to tr- control God and expect him to jump in and save you in the midst of your sinful behavior. No, God, God requires repentance and faith towards him. And then he can restore you. But just kind of going off and doing your own thing whenever you want to, that's exactly what Satan's going to try to get you to believe. Yes, we have an almighty, powerful, omniscient, um, all-knowing God who can do anything, who's completely limitless and infinite and can do anything in all things. But he has set up boundaries. He set up provisions for us, for those who are willing to surrender their lives and follow him can claim those promises can't just live your life the way you want to. You can't tempt the Lord your God and do whatever you want to and say, God, I need you to save me from this. Keep me from my consequences. He says, no, no, no. You don't understand. You didn't read the whole chapter. You'd be a follower of me and you live under my protection and my provisions. And then Jesus said to him, as it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan is very, very good at what he does. And lastly, concerning the knowing the temptation that we face. He says, again, the devil took him up, verse 8, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. All these things I will give to you, Jesus, if you fall down and worship me. 
Now, I have alluded to this, this passage before. And the truth still remains the same. And the question I'm going to ask you is, can Satan do that? Yeah. Yeah, he can do that. He can offer you everything that this world has to offer. He can give you anything that's temporarily in this world that will be destroyed in the end days. He can give it to you. He can rise you up to power, sex, money, drugs, anything that you could possibly desire, your heart's desire, Satan can give it to you within this world. He's got the power to do that. He's done it, he's done it many, many times before in the past. Where we've seen leaders come to power in great strength and they were evil people. But they had everything and anything they could possibly desire on this world and Satan had raised them up to do evil things. If you are willing to bow down and worship him, he has the ability. I'm not saying that he will. But in the end, it's going to be an empty box. In the end, it's going to be a very disappointing moment. He says, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. The whole reason why Jesus Christ came was to establish his kingdom in eternity. Now, what is... Now, what Satan is offering him is he's offering the kingdom without going to the cross. He's offering him the kingdom without actually having to go and be the sacrifice for all mankind. It would be temporary. It could be pleasing to his flesh because he wouldn't have to go through the crucifixion. So this is something that we can identify with and say, look, this would be the easy way out. This would be easy for me to do. And it could be very tempting to the fleshly side and if you would just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. But in the end, it's going to be an empty box. We, we know this, some, this is something that, that Jesus even struggled with in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever he was praying to the Father. He said, and he was saying, Lord, he's like, if there's any way, except, can you make this cup pass for me? If there's any other way except I drink it, then that's the way I want to go. Because he knew the crucifixion was going to be extremely excruciating on his body. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he claimed, and he clinged to the very word of God that was in his mind. He spoke it out and said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. There's many different ways that we can get ahead in this world by rejecting the teachings of the word of God. You don't have to cooperate to get what you want. You can, you can, you can run over people. You can, you can take, this, take the world by, by, the, by the horns and really make something of yourself and really be, build yourself your own kingdom and your own castle here in this world by turning your back on the teachings of the word of God and make yourself something very successful. And not have anything against people being successful, but if success comes by worshiping Satan, and falling down and turning your back on the word of God, then you're, you're looking at opening an empty box very soon in the, in the near future. But Satan's willing to, willing to offer you as much as he possibly can. He's willing to give you what, you're, what, you're, what your flesh desires as long as you're willing to bow down and worship him. And I promise you, every time, it's going to cost you way more than what you thought it would. Way more. But you must know the temptations. Know Satan's game. Understand what he's doing. Look forward into the future. Look for the emptiness that's gonna, that you're going to find. And if it's contrary to what the Word of God says, you must understand you must take the high road. 
Regardless of what you might think may happen, you must be willing to cling to that. Jesus was offered the kingdom without the cross, and he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And quoted him again, scripture, the word of God. Which brings me to my next point. You must know the truth. You must know the truth. And I won't get too much into this because next week we will be really diving into this. But you must know the truth. Every time Jesus was faced with temptation, he counted it with the very word of God. He counted it with what he knew was true. Jesus relied on the truth of God's word and Jesus focused on God's truth and his promises in order to reject the gift that was being offered by Satan. He used the very word of God. Now, Psalms 119.11 says, I said, your, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The only way that we can expose the lies is to know the truth. The only way that you can know the truth is if you actually get it out and read it and hide it in your heart and in your mind. So whenever those thoughts of temptation come on, the battle starts roaring, you can draw from what you know the truth of the word of God is, line it up side by side with it, and, and be able to expose it for what it truly is. And get rid of the empty box. Don't even take it. But it's going to require a renewing of our mind by guarding it but, and also inputting the truth that we know is true and allowing God's word to transform us into the person that he desires us to be. So you must know the truth. And finally, the fourth thing here is that I know it's hard. I mean, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. But, but life as a Christian in the world today is getting increasingly more difficult. I mean, even today, even though that, you know, we have the freedom to express, our, to express you know, our, our beliefs, in a small town like this, a lot of times we don't for the, even the fear of offensive, um, offending someone else. You know, we, we remain reserved in doing that. And, we, and we're tempted to not engage as much as we believe that we should because we, are, we fear the consequences that may happen. You know, we fear the price that we might have to pay, but I want you to understand something that we must have to, have to know when it comes to, um, when it comes to um, um, battling that temptation to not speak out or because of fear, we must know that Jesus knows. We must know that Jesus knows. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, you can listen. I don't know, do I have that up there? No, I don't. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Seeing that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Let me rephrase that. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a God, we have a Savior that knows the things that we have gone through. Jesus has been there, he's done that, he's got the t-shirt. And he is there and available, giving his strength, giving his knowledge to us that we can be overcomers as well. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And I really like verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whenever we feel that we are at our weakest point, Satan's going to come and attack you. 
But I also want you to know at your weakest point, if you come boldly before the very throne of grace, Jesus will strengthen you and give you the victory if you're willing to take his word. Even at your weakest point, plus Jesus, you can be victorious over this temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it, it instructs us here that he will give us the strength that is sufficient to resist the temptation. Now, this is very sobering for us. Now, we need to have an understanding here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. Just an understanding, we all face temptations. I very seriously doubt that any of you have suffered temptation that's unlike what I have suffered and the like back forward. Or if you look around the room, most likely you've got a common temptation with somebody else here. So there's no temptation that's overtaking you except which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. If we're tempted, God has already limited the strength of that temptation, hasn't he? He's limited it. He's not allowing you to be tempted above what you are able to resist. It says without, um, um, that you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That you may be able to bear that temptation. And when I look at this verse, what I do see is this, temptation is real. Temptation is something with which we all struggle but also what I see, the reality is, is that any time I fall prey to it, whose fault is it? It's mine, right? Because I haven't been tempted to a point where I'm not able to bear it. I haven't been tempted to a point beyond which I'm able to say no. I have not been tempted to a point where I can not rest on Jesus Christ and become victorious over that temptation. But in order for us to, be, to, to win the battle of our minds and temptation before they actually manifest themselves into, um, into our behavior, we must renew our minds continually, feeding it the word of God in order to expose the lies of the devil, in order to be transformed and to live out God's will and purpose in our lives. We must be willing to fight this battle. But I want you to understand, you can't go into a battle unarmed. You can't expect to win a battle without actually giving yourself something to work with. Dive into the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Hide its words in your heart that you may not sin against God. Because the only way that you can expose the lies is you must expose that with truth every single time. Now, in conclusion this morning, as we prepare for our invitation, the two things I really want you to understand whenever it comes to this renewing your mind and, and and actually fighting the battle and overcoming this temptation you must know your enemy know your enemy know how you are most tempted identify where you are weak and know that satan will always return at a more op opportune time he's very persistent but above all things i want you to know your god know your god Know the one that we serve. Know the all-powerful, timeless, spaces, immaterial, infinite being that loves you so much and wants to give you victory. He wants to show his love to you. He wants to offer you grace. He wants to offer you mercy in the times of temptation. And he wants you to be successful. Rest in him. Turn to him. Give your life to him. 
Trust him with the decisions. Believe what his, word of, what his word says. And live your life out in obedience. And be transformed. Allow it to renew you each and every day. Think through your plan of escape from, from the temptation. And look at, look, at the, look at every situation as far as temptation comes as another opportunity where God can have a victory in your lives. Let's all stand as we prepare for this time of invitation and reflection. And I pray that each and every one of us can have a, can realize where we are before God. Claim the victory. Know your God. He's bigger than any temptation. Sit down with him on a day-to-day basis. Learn from him. Allow him to input the knowledge that you need to win the battle that takes place in your mind, which is temptation. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this word. We thank you for your, for, your, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power and the promises that we can claim as your children. Father, I pray if there's someone here who's struggling with giving their life to you, Father, or totally surrendering their lives and following in obedience, I pray that that person will, will make that right with you today, even now. Everyone, thank you so much again for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.